Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Jerry, come up here this morning, buddy. I just saw this guy leading worship. I know I've used him before and you don't always see him sometimes at Milnerton evening community and that. But I saw a picture of this guy last week that Gabe showed me. Of, uh, you must have been... How old? 12 years old. 11. Huh? Did, did you see the picture? But it was just amazing. On this stage, the stage was brown. There was a door in the back of the hall. There was, the building was new and the carpets were new. And it was this amazing picture. And Gabe and I looked at this young guy, 12 years old. And then I see him this morning. A young man who actually arrived from Zambia last year. Uh, not last year, about 10 years ago. <laughs> last year. And, and 12 years ago. And has had tough years. I mean, tough years with family and tough years with breaking through and tough years navigating moving countries and tough years overcoming education systems. And today he's a man. He, he is overcoming. He is stepping into more. He's stepping up into education. He's working full time. He's leading God's people in worship. He's bringing a bit of style even to the church. <laughs> we need these guys. And actually this morning, I'm, I'm preaching about you, but I, I, I just... Um, I saw you this morning, I thought, actually, God, keep giving us young men who will keep answering the call, who will keep walking with brothers. I, I look across this room, and there are men all over the place, and at the Milton community this morning, and at the evening congregation this morning, who have poured themselves into this guy. Poured themselves in. I think of Lee Lubby and worship, and Gabe and youth, and Tyler and youth, and, and Brett in the marketplace, and many years before that even, and the many, many others, his mates, Olwetu and Oli and all the others, who've poured themselves in. Actually, you what I'm preaching about this morning. And it's an incredible, incredible privilege. Thank you for leading us this morning in worship. And, uh, This morning, I'd like to speak just a little bit um, about a leader-making house. We're in between series, so we're not in a series this morning, and we finished the Galatians series. We've had some fun with Aaron McCoy, and we're going into a new series. But between series, sometimes we get a chance to speak into visions and values and who we are as a community and what we feel God has called us to and the important things He's called us to. And um, I have in my home three wildlings. If you've been around and this is your first Sunday, I have three sons. Judah, Ben, and Daniel. They are eight, six, and four, and they are wild. This morning I had to shout out the bathroom window at seven o'clock in the morning because they'd escaped the house. Um, the alarm was going off because they set the alarm off. The dog was barking, and they were wrestling each other like a wild bunch of WWF wrestlers outside while our neighbors were trying to sleep. I at the time, wasn't able to get to them quick enough, so by the time I got there, I'm sure everyone was awake, and that is actually a usual occurrence at my house. <laughs> you need to pray for my neighbors, but um, my job in their lives is not just to get them to 18-year-old alive. It's like, that would be a big tick. Let me say that. That would be a win, though. We'll take that, but my job in their lives as a father, as a house is so much more than just getting them to an age where they can leave. If we can just get them there. It's so much more than them. It is their boot camp. It is their training facility. And they're training each other as they're learning. And, and the oldest is learning his responsibility to grow up the younger. And at every level, there's investments. And mom has to take them aside and teach them manners. 
We had a tough little scenario two weeks as I have a, a little guy who, who is very quick-witted, who has a, 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 a his sharp sense of humor, but he gets himself in trouble. He's pretty much my clone when I was seven. <laughs> and um, small man syndrome and a very quick mouth and very big friends. And... Um, but we had to take the situation and teach him. It's not just about making it right. It's saying, actually, how are you going to learn from this? How are you going to become a man from this? How one day, when you're 25 years old or whatever the age is, and you're standing at your own wedding, how would this moment have built into your life something that you are more than just someone who made it through time? And I would say, even in these things, that our homes, our environments, and this place, the church, is not just a place we come to get a teaching, we get our spiritual top-up, we make sure that our fire insurance from hell is up to date, and we move on. It is so much more than that as we walk in family. One of the greatest metaphors that God puts in His Word about the church is family. So we do take time to celebrate a Jerry, and we do take time to celebrate what God has done and is doing with Andrea as her father gets up to share, and her husband is on song show, giving, making sure that you get words this morning while she's still in critical care. You've got to know that stuff. See, when we don't know that stuff, we think this is some kind of production where Jesus is like um, the, the superstar. It's not that. This is just a moment, and how part of what I'm speaking about this morning is an encouragement and pulling into more, that there's so much more as we allow our lives to come together. We learn from each other. I, in my years of experience in the church and the church I was involved in Durban, it had this massive split of incredibly wealthy people who were driving their Range Rovers and, and their fancy cars from Schlange into the border of the city, and others would walk from, from buildings that were subdivided in many different ways so that multiple, multiple families could live in small apartments, and they would walk into the same building, and we come and worship the same God, and in that place, learning happens. And most of the time, I'm telling you, the rich had more to teach. The poor had more to teach the rich. In my context and in my home, on the, my couch, as we led a life group for 12 years, I saw learning happen where God says, I'm going to bring you all together and it's only going to work by my spirit who brings the walls down. And if you would be open to learning, I will raise you up and allow you to influence in ways and areas you never thought possible. And it's going to be called the church. It's not about a meeting on Sunday. That's just part of it. As we gather, we get edified, we get built up, we learn together, and we have moments of fun together, and we grow together, and we fight and contend together. But actually, there's so much more. For my kids, their journey is not just making it to 18 years and going, well, we made it here. And my job, even in their development, is not to know the final result. It's just to keep investing at every level, in every way that I can for my kids. So if I asked you the question today, what is the current state of leadership in our nation, in our world? If what if I, if, because if I, I spoke to many, it would not be a popular subject right now. So if I put a whole bunch of pictures up, um, what if I put a man named Donald Trump up on the screen? Or Mr. Jacob Zuma, or someone like Elon Musk, or Kim Jong-jin? the ruler of the North Korea? What about Angus Buchan? What about Alex Ferguson? What about Lady Gaga? See, John Maxwell says, actually, leadership is not a profile position. Leadership is one thing, it's influence. It's just having influence. All those names have influence. 
How that influence influences is a whole other thing. But all of them have influence because you all know their names. You've all heard of them. Maybe you can't sing Lady Gaga's songs, but you'll know that she has influence into this generation. And she is a prophetess to this next generation who is using her influence to speak. I would say that a nation without a future, a, a, a nation has no future without a leadership pipeline. And I would say it's the same for the church. The church has no future if we are not focused on making sure that we are building soil and environments where people, not just young, not just young, where people young and old, rich and poor, black and white, and every nation and color and tribe, every language can be growing into greater and greater influence. For what? So that the king gets all the glory. So that Jesus gets exalted through Jerry's life, through Andrew's life, through Mark's life, through everyone's life. God is building his kingdom. And he's wanting us to partner in that amazing story. And there is the reality that Romans 12 speaks about the spiritual gift of leadership. That's a different thing. I'm, I'm talking about, yes, that, but so much more. We can learn skills that we can better ourselves. Even as a staff, we've been speaking and looking, well, what does self-leadership look like? What are, what are steps that I can do to grow in? But more than that, to say, actually, I want to grow in who God is. I want to grow in his character, his nature, so that I have influence, not for myself. See, that's where it gets wrong. Often, influence becomes about a personality, and it's a challenge in much of the church of the world today. About a personality or, 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 at, or a yeah, profile. God says, actually, any influence, any profile I give you is not for yourself. It's for God. It's for His glory, His praise, His honor, in every way and in every way. And I want to give you something of my definition of biblical leadership, but it's not one that, that you're going to find in every website. It's one that God is calling us to and saying, as a local church today, and we're a little bit quiet today because of marathons and a whole bunch of things going on, but if we would catch the heart of being a leader-generating house, a leader-making house, see, it's easy to spot a leader. Not many people know the journey that leader has been on. I remember Jason Day winning um, a major last year. I can't remember, was it the US Open? And he ran, the first person he ran across and hugged was this caddy. I thought, oh, that's sweet. That's nice. But what I didn't know is that caddy had seen a young boy whose father had left him, who was with a single mom, who was looking for an opportunity. That caddy was a golfer at a golf club. and said, I'm going to back you and I'm going to give you every opportunity. And years later, 14 years later, Jason Day gets all the glory, and no one knows about this man who stepped into the breach as a father to call out the influence of this young man's life. We're good at celebrating the leaders. We're not always good at knowing the process and celebrating the process of being leader makers. I want my kids to go so much further than me. Whether they are doctors, whether they are sportsmen, whether they are teachers, whatever they choose to do and however God has graced them and gifted them, I want them to stand on my shoulders and go further. The design of the local church is not that, oh, you're a kid, come make your way up. One day, one day you can speak. Actually, no, God's saying, actually, I, I want those who've been saved for one week and one year and 100 years, I want them all in the same place and somehow I'm going to grace them differently. But if you would create soil... I think the local church is just good soil that we keep tilling by the word of God. We keep tilling and we keep investing in, putting right nutrients in so that men and women can come here broken and bruised. And when they land in that soil, they find themselves growing. Sometimes they don't even know how or why. It's called the supernatural grace of God that he gives to one thing called his local church. But what is leadership? It's a couple of simple words, so it's not complicated. One, it's radical. 
We use statements like, inheritance is on the other side, great inheritance is on the other side of great obedience. We need to keep calling people to a gospel that is a demanding gospel. There is a demand of the gospel. It is challenging. There are challenges to face up to. I sat with a young man the other day who's wrestling his, his world that he came from and he's still got relationship and influence. And I'm saying, don't throw that away. But then this world that he's found himself wanting to step into more, which is the kingdom of God and walking to please God. I'm saying, but the issue is not which one will you have influence. The issue is who will you give the most influence in your life to? Because of that voice of appeasing and pleasing every person in this space, I promise you'll never step into a godly spiritual inheritance. There's always a cost. There is a challenge. A model where people are committed to God, sold out to truth. Truth to the entire word of God. Not truth to our favorite scripture. I like that one. On the wall. Foof. Outside, over the doors. We like that one. I would say that leadership and biblical leadership and the one leadership that we're trying to produce is leaders who are not easily swayed. Not easily swayed. Not Monday, God is glorious. Tuesday, God is no hope. Now Wednesday, it's like, whoa, the tax man. Thursday, God is amazing. It's like we, the people are trying to watch our lives. Going, whoa, which one are you? It's like they're watching a multi-personality story play it out in front of them because believers are easily swayed. And God's saying, I want to put my gospel inside of you. You know Jesus was? The same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is the most consistent individual you will ever encounter. As you come closer and closer to Jesus, as you walk with him, as you read about him, as you worship him, as you give your life to him, you'll realize he's unbelievably consistent. And our job, as the Bible says, is going to bring down the mountains and bring up the valleys. Why? So the glory of God can come. I'm a mountain guy. You've heard me say this. I like it when life is good. I'm really good there. It's like getting birdies on the golf course. Let's tell everyone. I don't like it when I'm in the valley. I've I, I got to learn that. I've had to learn that. I've got to say, God, actually, I want, to learn, I want you to teach me to be more consistent in your character, your nature, who you are in that journey. I've got to carry on because time is a little limited. Submitted and surrendered. There is authority in our lives. And it's first and foremost his godly authority. And then he wants to place spiritual leaders and guides and fathers in our lives and mothers in our lives who will bring life and sometimes speak into our stories. Sometimes challenge, if I got Jerry up here this morning and say, Jerry, give me three of the toughest words you've ever received, or the most, actually, if I asked him, give us the most helpful words you've ever received. Were they pleasant? Always. To receive. Not so much. Mainly from him or who? I'm not pointing at anyone specific, but the guy in the fancy shoes over there. But it's, why? Because God is wanting to build something that's going to be robust. It's going to be strong. He wants to build young men and women who are going to step into things of God and influence in our city and our nation, but they've been built into by communities. And you know the saying we use it, it's a Zulu proverb, actually it, it, it takes a village to raise a child. I believe it more than ever. And we want men and women who are strong, they are committed to the full mandate of the gospel. The full mandate, committed to Him, the full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Word of God. To be full of the Holy Spirit means you've encountered the Holy Spirit. You mean being in a community of people who live and walk by the Holy Spirit. And there are warriors sitting amongst you who are full of the Spirit of God, who can teach you and take you on journeys. And I'm saying, God, thank you for those warriors in our midst who pray, intercess all night. 
for situations like Andrea and the many others. Thank you, Lord, that that's how you put them together. And we play different parts in that story. Building according to biblical patterns, family, business, practices align, that align more with the gospel than with worldly norms. Questions that I would ask are not, do you pay your staff on time? Rather, do you pay them a fair wage, not just minimum wage? When we start asking those questions, we start seeing the kingdom of God unfolding in our lives. When in faith, we rise to those things. Key markers of a biblical leader, well, others, passion and uncompromising and living to please God. Sitting with this young man saying, but you're talking to me about living to please God or living to please your mates. So which one do you want? You don't get both. You don't get both. This water is running towards my Bible story. Just going to do that. Just do that a little bit. But I have a desire and a call, and I believe it's a call and a desire of this house to raise leaders. I can't say it's every church's call, and I can't say it's every church's desire. But it is the desire and the call of this house. Why do we put leadership development on a calendar? Because if it's not in your calendar, it's not important to you. Just going to tell you. And I would even say in your own story, if there's not elements and times where you're saying, I'm wanting to invest in myself, you're probably not going to see growth. If there aren't moments where you're prioritizing, I've got to go, I've got to read something. I read a statement the other day, corporate CEOs in America, the average number of books they read, the average is 60 in a year. 60 books in a year, that's the average. That means there's some dudes that are reading 200, because I'm telling you, there are one or two that are reading one. But that's how it works. So you want to grow, you want to have influence, well, you've got to be growing and going on that story. And um, so what are the markers of a leader maker or a house that looks like a leader maker? I want to just say this. I'm not just speaking about leaders for the church. I'm not speaking about my job in raising my boys is not to make them one day when they preachers. No. I don't know what God's got for them. They're eight, six, and four. Only God knows. My job is to make them lovers of Jesus. My job is to make them good men. Men. My job is to put character inside of them. My job is to open their eyes to some things ahead of the time before the world opens their eyes, but put when their eyes are open to give them truth and life in those stories. It's a big job. And, um, yeah. And I want to say this. Even in, when I use the word leader, maybe a whole bunch of you have kicked out because it's like, well, leader is not a word that's spoken about me. I'm not that guy, not, or that lady. No, David was, the prophet came and said, I'm looking for your sons. This one of your sons is going to be king. And his father, Jesse, pulls his sons together and leaves David out in the field. Says, here are my sons, choose. And all the good-looking boys, you can imagine all the posing and the flexing and the, here the prophets come to choose the next king. Obviously, he wants someone big, you know. <laughs> David's not even in the lineup. He's not even there. Don't wait for the world to choose you. And God speaks to his prophet. says, no, he's not here. Is there someone else? He says, no, there's someone out in the field tending my sheep. He says, that's the guy. Bring him. Seize him. Allow God to turn you, let you be a David. Maybe you've discounted. Maybe you're in charge forever, and it's your mates, your mates that always step into more. I only started leading worship at 25 years old, and I would celebrate my mates every time they'd step up. up. Think, oh, awesome for them, God. Yay for you, buddy. You've made such good calls in your life. Yay for you. I'm just going to stand in the back because I don't really want to be that guy. 
God's saying, actually. But I want to share a story on lesson making from a guy named Barnabas. Again, another great name if you're having children. And um, it's Acts number 9, verse 17. And, and there are many things I could read into the scripture. I want to read the whole scripture and pull out three quick points. Because I honestly believe that the responsibility of leader making in our house, whether it is this community in the morning, whether it is a Milneton community or the evening, all of us together, the responsibility doesn't just lie on me. I'm just telling you. It relies on the mothers who are here who need to be speaking and challenging and calling. It relies on the fathers. It relies on the brothers. It relies on those who will challenge each other and say, hey, buddy. Let me help you here. Let me invest in your life. Let me pour into your story. Acts chapter 9. And there's a couple of characters. Who we're looking for is this guy named Saul. He's an absolute challenge. <laughs> he was the persecutor of the Jews. He stood at Stephen's stoning and he approved it. He said, boys, I'll look after your stuff. You go carry on stoning Stephen. He was fervently chasing the Christians. He wasn't a good guy. And yet God engages him, groups him. He has a moment with God, an encounter with the king of kings, and changes his whole life. But sometimes God can change his whole life, but not everyone else sees what happens. That's where we arrive. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. That's Paul's name. It was changed from Saul to Paul. He saw in, in that journey, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the roads as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. See, this is still Saul. He's still the guy who, who is championing the persecution of the church. He's not the poster boy for Christianity. says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who calls on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of the plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in a wall. Imagine somebody, I want to lower you through a basket <laughs> down the wall. Not sure I'll jump in that basket. Verse 26, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. He tried to get in with those who were in with Jesus. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He took them, he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit in increased in numbers. I love that last. Isn't that what we want? We want the church, a time of peace, strengthened, encouraged by the Holy Spirit, healthy fear of God, and increasing in numbers. But there's something that happens in the middle of that story that when I look at, I see a culture maker, I see a leader maker. It says this, but Barnabas took him. When no one else wanted him, 
because of his past. When no one else wanted him because of his story, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord. I would present Barnabas as a leader maker, even when others were concerned. And we have this need for leader makers. Have you ever heard of a man named Charles Spurgeon? 19th century preacher. He was known as the prince of preachers. He would preach and revival would come. He said this about a lady named Mary King, the housekeeper at the school he attended as a teenager in Newmarket. She lived something very sweet indeed. She liked something very sweet indeed. Good, strong, Calvinistic doctrine. <laughs> but she lived strongly as well as fed strongly. Many a time we have gone over the covenant of grace together and talked of the personal election of the saints, their union to Christ, their final perseverance, and what vital godliness meant. And I do believe that, more, that I learned more from her than I should have learned from any six doctors of divinity of the sort we have nowadays. Who? The cleaner, the lady, the housekeeper at the school where he attended. Please don't discount yourself from being a leader maker. And the influence of Barnabas in this story, three things as we present. One is, and I'm speaking this not about being individuals, I'm speaking this about being a house. That we want to be this people who would allow and see God raising up leaders, raising up influences in our midst. Number one, risk-taking. A biblical leader maker takes risks to support hopeful leaders. And here's the thing. Paul has put his hand up. He said, actually, I've encountered Jesus. He starts preaching. And all the Christians want to run away. They're like, actually, I don't want anything with this guy. He's risky. Just the other day, he stoned one of our mates. I mean, you don't really want to hang around that guy. Like, come for dinner. He stoned Brother John the other week. <laughs> come. You can understand the Christians. They're a little freaked out. It says, but Barnabas got him and took him. He took a risk. And what, see, the reality is, Paul didn't, he didn't have anything to lose. Barnabas had everything to lose. He has his reputation with the believers. He was an older man who had walked with the Lord for many years, had had a story already. And then he had this reputation with the apostles. He says, actually, what I'm going to do, I'm going to put that all on the line. Why? Because I'm going to take a risk because I've seen something in you when you were preaching to the Gentiles. I saw something in you and I believe Jesus is in you. I'm going to risk it all and put it on you and I'm going to take you where no one else will. Could we be a church? Could we be a people who would take risks on people? potentially costly. It has the opportunity to fail. Unless it has the opportunity to fail, it's not really risk-taking. Maybe even for some, it's just the story of actually, I want to risk across lines that are different to me. Age. Maybe I could learn something from a younger man. Maybe I could learn something from an older man. Maybe I could learn something from someone of a different culture. Maybe I could learn someone who doesn't have the resources that I do or don't have in my bank account. For myself, it was the night I went to Candace's home group leader. She was a new believer. She was like a radical, wild bunny, Holy Spirit person. You know, they just, they just encountered Jesus. They're still bouncing for like months. Like the first at church and they're in worship. And, and, but I had my eyes set. So I went after. She says, she said, no, I've got a different story, but it's all good. And... Um, but I went to a home group leader who had played a vital role in her life. He'd become something of a father in her story. And I thought, well, I've got to tell this oak. I'm gonna, I want to date this girl, you know. 
So I was like, worked myself up. I had the whole thing. And, um, and I was 21 years old and a little bit renowned for being slightly naughty. I know you wouldn't believe it. It's true. And, um, and so, so the, the, I went to this guy. I thought, yes, he's going to have to take a bit of a risk here. Maybe he'll just say, not now. You know, Maybe it's not good for Ken. Not, she's newly saved and, and, and you're a little naughty. And um, I sat down with him and I went to their home group. And afterwards, I said, hey, Derek, his name is Derek Andrews. I'd love to date Candace. He says, yeah, that's good. But I want to tell you, there's more for you. And he starts prophesying into my life. Starts speaking things. He says, God's called you to preach the gospel. I'm 21 years old. I'm studying business and I'm going a corporate route. I'm not going to preach the gospel, buddy. But he starts speaking into my life and declaring. I say to him, listen, that's cool. I just really want to date Candace. He says, no, that's fine. <laughs> he says, but there's, there's more. There's more for your life. And I went home thinking, what was that oak on about? I like being known as the naughty guy. I like being slightly on the edge. Leave me there. I'm happy there. But this guy starts prophesying and calling things. Will we be a community that will do that? For young guys whose fathers are far, far away, for people who don't have stories, you know this area. It is riddled with single parents' homes. Will you rise up to be someone who will risk into people's lives, futures, be it financially, with advice, whatever. Barnabas steps in and he becomes this guy's advocate. He says, I will back him. So if you're looking at him and you're judging him and you're finding every reason to not believe in him, fine, but look at me. Could we be that for people? I need to rush through two more points. It says in Acts 11 verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. He's looking, he's looking, he says, I can see the same grace of God, and his heart was glad. Everywhere Paul goes, he sees the grace of God. Why? Because a man who saw him first saw the grace of God first. When you encounter people, are you looking for the grace of God? Or are you looking for the brokenness? Are you looking for the mess? Because you will always find the mess, guys. You'll always find the mess. But this guy becomes Barnabas, a son of encouragement, a man who steps into one. You know what? He never writes a book in the Bible. But he influenced this guy's story, Paul, and he influenced Mark's story. Fourteen books of the New Testament were written because of his leader-making abilities, because he risked, and because he saw with eyes of grace and hearts that were glad. It's a challenge. We, risk, we, we live in a trust deficit world where to risk on someone means I potentially could get hurt. And I'm telling you, yes, you can. I've lent money many times in the church, and it's gone. Woo! <laughs> so what? I'm being honest. If I didn't have the faith to give it that it didn't come back, I've got to get over it, and I've got to learn something, and I've got to say, God, maybe I missed that one. I want to know your spirit that will lead me, give me wisdom and clarity, but get over it. Why? Because then I won't influence someone else in a new story. Number three, it's not about me. And, and the result of Barnes' ministry, like I said, were these firebrand preacher of the gospel. No ulterior motives. We live in a world where it's actually, you see a young guy in the marketplace, you, you want to get him. You come here, why? Because he makes you look good. You run a business, you, oh, come, I'm, I want to back you. Why? Because it's actually going to make me money. You can make the bottom line look good. And God's saying, actually, could my church be different? Could 
my church be different? Could the church be a place where people gather? Actually, a man walks in. He's walked for years without God. He's an older man where someone else who might be younger steps into the breeze and says, actually, I can help you a little bit with this thing called the Bible. I'm not being arrogant. I'm, not try- I'm just telling you I can help you because I've walked the road you're walking now and it's difficult and we need people to help us. And the result are leaders stepping up. Jesus did it for 12 absolute reprobates called the disciples. Fishermen, most of them, a tax collector who ripped his mates off, a doctor, says, come boys, for three years, I'm going to just walk, and you're going to walk in my dust. And when you nya, 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 I'm going to have to listen to you, and I'm going to be gracious with you. Jesus, we want the best seat in the house. Jesus, we, we don't do with this. And I'm going to show you how to heal. I'm going to show you how to do these things. I want to be like Jesus, and I want to create environments where we can do that for the same. Anyway, I want to jump ahead because today I said we have an announcement. And, and the reason I spoke about what I did is because we are bringing on two couples onto eldership in, this, in the life of this church because God's doing amazing things and we, and we need some gifts. Yeah. Now, the reality is I can preach every week because I love it, but actually that's not the design of God. God says you need multiple gifts and I need people who can challenge me and maybe even tune me. <laughs> I need it. I need people who are different to me, who think differently. Where I see the macro, they see smaller. Where I see blue, they see other colors. Where, where, where whatever. We need team, and that's why God creates team. And part of the announcement today, and why I would speak about something like being a leader-making house, is because both these couples got saved in this story, started their walk with Jesus in this story, got discipled by some of you in this story. You had them in your life groups. You fed them around your table. You let them use your two-ply paper, drink your Milo, Send their kids to your house when they couldn't cope anymore. You did that. And some of you at Milton this morning and some who in the evening service, you've done that. And because of that, we have the privilege of releasing amazing people onto their eldership and to lead us. I just want to say there's no junior elders and say we are a Bible-based believing church, which means this. We use weird words like elders because it's in the Bible. Please don't ever call me Elder Mark. If you know me, you'll know that's not my thing. I don't, be, I don't like any title. Otherwise, I'm going to call you Accountant Bob or Mother Jane or whatever it is. If you call me Pastor Mark, I'm going to give you a title as well. That's just how it rolls. Why? Because it's not about hierarchy. It's not about position. We just play different roles in a great story called the church. And uh, I'm really, really excited as we walk and as I've celebrated. I phoned Wally. I said, we want to bring these couples onto elders. He said, unbelievable. He says, Mark. And I could hear a little thing in his voice as his voice cracks says they all got saved the life changes and i'm telling you that because it's an unusual story unfortunately much of the church has become a lot like the world you need a pastor put it on the internet we need a pastor here's the package we'll give you a year's contract we don't like you we'll send you packing i'm just telling you it's real god's saying actually will you be a house where men and women can arrive absolutely broken and find their call in your midst that's good for the mission and so I'd like to introduce, and, and you wouldn't see these guys all the time because the one couple, Brett and Shelley Anderson, were part of the Milnerton story and the planting of the Milnerton story, and they have been here how many years, guys? 16 years. So they've pretty much been here since the beginning. In the beginning, we're Brett and Shelley Anderson. <laughs> and then Rion and Maria van der Vestesen with the amazing boys as well, who've also been here 10, 11 years. And uh, Maria walked into the front door and said, I've just had twins, they're killing me. I've got a hole this big in my heart, do you have a pull that can fix it? 
I just I tell you that because I'm telling you, it's a community that raises leaders. It's a community that allows you and others to step into their call. It's the soil in which we build when we worship Him. It's that thing. Why don't you guys come up here? And um, we just wanted to make... And... Uh, If you're looking them a bit strange, like we don't see them all the time, like I said, these guys uh, were the first to put their hand up at the Milton story. Um, we planted a church there, so Brett's kids are there, he gets involved in the school board there, and, and um, just so amazing marketplace couple who have their own business and really cool earrings, if you noticed, that he only wears on weekends. And, um, but, and, then, and then Brett and Maria, I'll tell Brett and Maria, what's your name again? Um, Rion. I'm just telling you this. The reason, we, the reason we are bringing this is we're a family. And, and even now, in this moment, some of you are going, good, more leaders, hierarchy. Good for them, Lord. Good for them, Lord. It's the wrong response. You know what we should do as a people when God adds to the leaders? And I must, we, he adds to the leaders wherever in his word. He says, actually, for more land and more glory. He deals with the leaders. He puts leaders in place. Why? Because he's taking his people on. He's doing that with us too. So these amazing couples, they're going to say a few words, but I want to tell you, I absolutely love them. I absolutely trust them. They've been an incredible blessing, and the reality they've been doing this already. And so we want to bring Wally in on the 8th of October. We are going to have a big day in. The Milnathan Church are going to come and join us in the morning. We're going to have a big endeavor because actually we're celebrating. We're going to be releasing and ordaining these couples. We're going to be releasing deacons in the life of the church, and we're going to be celebrating what God is doing in our midst. But why don't you say hello, tell these guys who you are. They don't know you and um, about your kids. Can I just say, what qualifies these amazing people? I know I need to keep quiet now. Go and read Titus, the book of Titus, and 1 Timothy. There are these qualifications for eldership that I can't teach through now, but Wally will teach through on the 8th. And we have had to meticulously go through those and process lives through these things. But I want to say for both of these couples... This is not about profile or privilege. Actually, nothing would have changed with them if we didn't ask them. I know that because they've been doing it anyway. But actually, it's inconvenient for both of them right now. Young kids, business, Rihanna and Maria, both working in the marketplace and hard jobs. It's inconvenient time. And actually, we should be grateful to God. Say, thank you for leaders who at inconvenient times will pay a price to serve your church. Say hello, buddy. How's it? My name's Brett. This is my beautiful wife, Shelley. We've been married 14 years this month. 15? <laughs> 14, it's 2017. 2000 and... Uh, is. Yeah. It's all part of the skit. Yeah. It's all part of the skit. You can trust me. It's Not fine. high grade maths, eh? <laughs> I don't count the tiles, I promise. Um, so um, we've been part of this community a long time. Uh, we had, it, it's such a privilege to uh, have grown up in this church and have leadership pour into us and love us and... Um, it's an incredible place. It's the first place that we came. It's really the first church that we've really been involved in where people loved us, for us. There wasn't a critical eye, but people loved us enough to speak into our lives, say, hey, we noticed this, we noticed that. And they walked with us and they journeyed with us. And um, it's an incredible thing to belong to a community where you can be you. People are not trying to squeeze you into a, a round peg and a, into a square hole in this community. They want to see God thrive in your life, and they want to see the best for you and the best for the kingdom and the community. And so it's been a huge privilege for us to be part of that. 
Um, yeah, well, we've got two girls. Uh, Brits is 19, uh, 18, she's turning 19, she's at Milneton in Matric, and uh, Sarah's 14, and they're both involved, and it's really, a, it's, it's a privilege to be part of this community, and uh, babe, you want to talk a little bit about Milneton? Hi, everybody. Um, yeah, I think I just could so relate to everything that Mark was um, saying. I think um, I was one of those um, people that came into church, and I was very... Um, very weary of people's motives. And um, I've just experienced um, people pursue me because they just want to be my friend and they have no ulterior motives. They just want to love me. They just want to get to know me. And I've just experienced that just over the 16 years that we've been a part of Life Changes and just different people speaking into my life. And, and just in that, just, you know, growing in confidence and... Um, yeah, I just, I, I love to serve, so that was one of my, my big things was um, serving, and um, when we heard about the Milneton plant, um, I just knew, I, I just said to Brett, we have to do this, and luckily he felt the same, and um, it's been amazing, I've just, um, yeah, we just partnering with a group of incredible people that have also, a lot of them have also been at Life Changes for a number of years, and just, um, yeah, just partnering with this group of people just to love on a community like Milneton and just to hear them, um, just to hear their experiences. And it's incredible. Life Changes has just, just grips people's hearts. And just to hear them and their response, just when I ask them, you know, how, how do you find Life Changes? And they say, oh, we feel like we've come home. And it's... And it doesn't matter what, if I come to the morning um, at Tableview or if I go to the Milneton or the evening, it's the same. I think we've, we've got this incredible um, culture of just loving on people. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's been an incredible journey. Um, for me personally, I've, I've grown a lot in um, speaking in front of people. <laughs> I would never have been able to do this, um, yeah, 18 months ago. Um, but, yeah, I think God has is, is got so much more for, for everyone here. Um, just, yeah, I think you just have to open your hearts and just, um, yeah, if people want to be your friend, just open your hearts and just um, and let them. Yeah. Good morning, everybody. <coughs> um, so if I may, I'll, I'd like to share my story um, of how I came to the church. Um, we arrived from England 15 years ago, and um, two years later, I, Nathan was born just after we arrived, and two years later, I really was, I was still very confused and, um, you know, leaving home, leaving England, and, and I found out I was pregnant, and we were ecstatic with our second child, and um, unfortunately, I, I lost that child when I was about eight, nine weeks pregnant. I was really sad and went through a difficult process. And then eight weeks later, I was pregnant again. And I was ecstatic again. And about eight, nine weeks pregnant, I lost that, that pregnancy again. And then I was broken. <laughs> I was really broken. And um, I remember Nathan was going to a little play school around the corner here in... Aurora Avenue, and um, I used to drive past Life Changes Church, and 
if I can honestly say to you, I've probably been to a church three times in my entire life for a wedding or something like that. So un completely unchurched. Um, but one day I dropped him off, and as I drove past, I just, I don't know, I made a spontaneous move, and I drove into the car park. And in my brokenness, I knocked on the door, and I, a lady answered, and I said, Hello, my name's Maria. I have a hole about this big in my stomach, and I would like one of your spiritual pills right now, please, because I'm, I, I w that's what I would like. So she said to me, well, you better come in then. <laughs> and uh, I met an amazing man called Murray, and he introduced me to Mish. And um, we became very good friends. She's just, she's a beautiful person. She's kind and gentle and sincere and creative, and I loved her. And she invited me to different things, and Rian nearly fell off his chair when I told him that I'd walked into a church. But he came along to church when we went on Sundays, and I think about three months later, uh, Wally made an altar call, and we all had our eyes closed, and my heart was pounding, and I just knew at that moment that whatever it was that I was feeling, I was being called, and I had to obey, and I put my hand up. And I opened my eyes, and Rianne had put his hand up too. So <laughs> we gave our lives on the same morning. And we joined a life group, and we went to foundations. And in foundations, Murray told us about how God speaks to you. And I learned all this new and weird stuff that I'd never heard of before and had lots of questions and challenged them hugely. And um, so I thought it was really great. And I started talking to God all the time when I was running, when I was cycling and I was in the car one day and I said to Lord am I going to have another baby and quite clearly I sensed him saying to me what you have lost I will return and I will give you twins I was like really twins okay <laughs> really wow that's amazing thank you I rang Rian <laughs> Rian God says we're going to have twins <laughs> And so I think he high-pitched, kind of said, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and life carried on. And they prayed for us in life group every week. And um, I think about four months later, I found out I was six weeks pregnant. And so I was really nervous, and I went for a scan, and they told me I was pregnant with twins. So I was like, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for restoration. And my twins are 11 years old now, and um, yeah, so <laughs> God is faithful. <laughs> so I just want to, if anybody wants some prayer, um, please come to me afterwards. We really have faith for that. Um, so yeah, that's my story. <laughs> my name is Rian. I'm a born and bred Cape Townian, and um, yeah, about 25 years ago, or when I was 25, went across the UK and I had my wife-to-be, Maria, run under my umbrella. There's a lot more detail that I'm sure she'd love to share with you, but that's where my journey started. Um, yeah, Maria grew up in a, in a Jewish home, unchurched, and um, I remember asking God at that stage, because I grew up in a Christian home, and um, saying to God, what is happening? Because I fell in love with her from the first day when I met her. Yeah, and then uh, about a year and a half after that, we got married and we came back to South Africa. And, um, you yeah, know, it's just been amazing 
just to see through God's timing how He brought us both and He returned myself and Maria back to Him um, on that day when we both put our hands up, um, not having discussed it with each other, but how He had journeyed with each and every one of us. And um, yeah, just with Brett as well, um, being water baptized at Small Bay, Murray uh, baptized me and Brett came along. Hadn't met him or spoken to him and we were introduced and he was in the water when um, I got baptized. Maria got baptized that day as well. And um, yeah, when I, when I spoke to Mark and he, he, um, he asked us to, to come onto eldership and he told me that he had asked Brett and Shelley as well. Sure, I was just, um, yeah, so I just want to honor you guys as well. You know, it's been really amazing just to, to see you guys grow and just the journey that we've been on together. Brett and I have, have shared lots and, and we, you know, we talk about a lot of things just with regards to business and where we are with regards to our families and things that are happening. And, um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's exciting and amazing just to see um, what God is doing and, more than that, we are really excited to see uh, what God has in store for us and where He's leading us to as a community. Um, we love, I know I love the, the bride, the church, because Jesus died for the bride. And that's what excites me, for no other reason but that. Amazing. Like we said, we'll have a big day on the 8th. And... Um, Here's what I think our response needs to be. Pray for these guys because God is, when men and women step into to anything for more of God, whether it's building a business, whether it's planning a new business, whether it's entering new ventures with God or stepping into some spiritual office like this, um, we, I pray for them that this will be a good time for their families, for their kids. But actually have an expectation in your heart. Here's what it is. As it goes with the leaders, so it goes with the people. I believe it. God does that. And he says, actually, I want to do something with Life Changes Church. So I've got to add some stuff to your team. I've got to add at this level. I've got to add it different ways. I've got to allow the prayers to rise up and allow God. And here's the question. Say, God, do you have, what do you have for me? What's the more for me? I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask Wayne to pray and lead for us. I, I need to shoot across to Milton as we're making this announcement there as well. But, um, but God is leading us. He is showing us. He's challenging us. I know for both these couples, this wasn't an easy decision. And sometimes, actually, that's the best way when God is challenging, saying, actually, maybe your not easy decision right now is just to make him first, to give him some time in your day. Maybe that's your not easy decision right now. And then you never know where that ends up. So can we thank God?